Gospel of John together. Uh, we're in chapter 17, and we, we've come to the uh, end of this uh, chapter. If I could just trouble somebody for a glass of water, I think that would be helpful. So chapter 17 is a prayer of Jesus's. The, the previous chapters, Jesus was speaking to his special disciples in a special way before he was going to be taken away to be crucified. Some people call that the upper room discourse. Some people call that the farewell discourse. I like to think of it as Jesus' best sermon that we've had recorded for us. Jesus was intimately speaking, preaching, and teaching to his disciples, preparing them for when he would leave. And, and the application is exactly for us. Jesus isn't with us now. Jesus has left. But Jesus has left us with this sermon, with these words of, of great encouragement to us. And then Jesus moves on from his sermon to a prayer. And he has got this what sometimes called the high priestly prayer. Sometimes it's called the, the farewell prayer. But it's certainly Jesus praying. And in the first section, Jesus is, is praying, for his, praying for himself. Strange, isn't it? We're always taught we don't pray for ourselves first. That comes later. Well, well, Jesus was able to pray for himself first because he was praying for God's glory. What he wanted was God to be glorified. He was praying that he would be glorified so that God would be glorified. And then the second section of this prayer in verse chapter 17 is Jesus praying for his 11 disciples. And then he moves on from his 11 disciples to what we started looking at last week from verse 20 through to the end. That's verse 20 through to 26. Jesus starts praying for all believers. And so the emphasis that we had last week and the emphasis that I want us to get excited about as we start looking at this prayer again is if you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, Jesus, 2,000 years ago, was praying for you. Now, I find that breathtaking. That the thought that Jesus prayed for me. And if you're a Christian, if you are a believer, if you yourself are a disciple of Jesus... You too should be excited by the fact that Jesus prayed for you. And if you're not getting excited by that, if you're not looking forward to hearing more about it, then there's a problem. Because if you're a true Christian, you will get excited. You will be delighted to think that Jesus was praying about you. And last week we started opening up this prayer and we started to ask the question, what did Jesus pray about? And those two main themes that we looked at last week uh, as, as sort of ways of introduction, if you like, to this part. We, we saw the Trinity there. We saw God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we saw the way of salvation. They're, they're two themes that are there in the prayer. And those themes will keep coming up. And that's why we needed to get a good handle on them, a good grip uh, of what's happening. The way of salvation, as it's outlined in this prayer, is firstly to believe in Jesus. To believe in Jesus through the word. God's word is where we learn about Jesus. And in learning about Jesus in his word, we can believe in him. And in coming to believe in Jesus, we come to know the Father. And so the way of salvation was believing in Jesus, believing through the word, and knowing the Father through Jesus. 
And then just last week, uh, we, we noted that there were the three main requests, and I had them as a heading, unity, love, and glory. And then the reason we can see these as uh, requests is because they're identified. If you go through this little section here, you'll see the word they may three times, may be three times, and may know one time. And that's Jesus's requests for all his children. And so I have to emphasize this again. This prayer and the teaching that we're looking at today is for Jesus's family. It is for believers. It's for those who know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's for those who know God as their Heavenly Father. And if you haven't got a relationship with God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ, then these amazing subjects of unity, love, and glory are not yours. And we're going to come back to the salvation in a minute and how they can be yours shortly, but I want you just to be aware of that. And we need to ask ourselves the situation, the question very seriously as we worship together this morning. Is this prayer for me? I want you to ask yourself that question. Is this prayer of Jesus for you? And if you're a believer, you can say, yes, it is. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And if it's not, you should be concerned Because it means you're not right with God. And it means your sins haven't been dealt with by Jesus. Your sins are exactly that. Your sins. And they will be dealt with eternally. So Jesus prays about unity, about love, and about glory. And those themes have just come up in the sermon that he's preached. In in the previous chapters, 13 through to 16, there's talk of unity, there's talk of love, there's talk of glory. They're not new things. And so what Jesus is doing here in his prayer is actually praying through points of the sermon. It's interesting, isn't it? And this is a very, very practical point of application here. What do you do with the sermon once it's finished? Well, Jesus prayed for it. Jesus prayed it into the life of the disciples. And a very important job of of the pastor, the preacher, the teacher, is, is not just the delivering of the sermon, but to be praying that God will use that sermon in the hearts and the lives of those that are listening. But also, you who are listening, you've got a responsibility too. And I think it's very, very practical that if if you're wanting to get lots out of a sermon, you should come to it in a prayerful mindset and you should leave it in a prayerful mindset. And and that's why we try to give people a bit of time after the service just to, to, to pray it in. But I encourage you, don't leave it there in this afternoon or in the coming week. Pray in what you've heard. Jesus was praying in the sermon to the hearts and the lives of his disciples. 
And we should be doing the same thing. Well, today, I'm thinking this is how this is, this is going to, to work out now. I was thinking we might be able to do unity, love, and glory all together. But I think what we're going to do is unity, love, and glory over the next uh, three weeks, this week included. And then probably what I'm going to do, I'm not certain, but what I'm probably going to do is take a break from John. Because we've been doing John for a long time. It comes to a, a section where we can take a break from it. And, and a lot of what's there is very similar to what we've just done in Easter time. So I'm thinking of taking a break from John uh, then and going to some other subjects and, and some other passages of God's Word that's on, on our heart and I think will be helpful for church life at the moment. But we're going to be looking at unity today and then probably love the following week and glory the, the, the week after. So the first heading that I want to bring up from this passage, the first statement that I want to make, or what Jesus makes, that I should say from his prayer, is unity is for all believers. Unity for all believers. Now, if, if you're looking for the word unity in these verses, you're going to be disappointed because the word unity isn't there. But, but there's no doubt that this is one of the things that Jesus is praying for. It, it, you can see it here in verse 21. That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And so Jesus is praying for those who will believe, that's us. And what he's saying about this, he's saying that they would be united, that they may all be one. Do you understand what the word all means? A little while earlier, I asked those that were new here to stand up. Did that mean all of you? No, of course not. It just meant those people. But if I said, can you all stand up, what would I expect? I would expect every single one of you to stand up. And there's an emphasis here in Jesus' prayer that it is for all of us. Everyone who is a believer, everyone who is part of God's family, Jesus prayed that we would be one together. Now, nobody here is exempt from that. Yeah? Uh, in the European Union, it all got very, very complicated because different countries had different exemptions from different things. So not everyone was equal. That's what was meant to happen. And so what would happen is there'd be a big discussion, and then they would look to England, and England would say, no, we're exempt from this. We're not going to get involved. And then on a different subject, the French would say, no, 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 we are, we are exempt. And it wouldn't happen. And, and this was a problem. And it didn't work, because the unity fell apart. And where's England now? Well, regrettably or happily, depending on what you think, they're not part of Europe. The unity is broken. And, and, and we see this unity around the world breaking because not everybody is going to be involved with it. But Jesus here is praying that everybody, all people, all may be one. And so if you're a believer, we can say this, Jesus prayed that you would be united. That's why you should come on a Sundays. 
because you're united with your family. That's why you should try as best you can to come in the midweeks because you are united as a family. That's why you should pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ because you are united as a family. That's why we help each other out because we are united as a family. And so we can say from this prayer request of Jesus that it is God's will for us as Christians to be united. Now, so often people come to me and say, Pastor James, how can we discover God's will? And it's a great question to ask. It's an important question to ask. But so often the simple things about God's will are the things that we forget. This is very, very simple. God tells his church through Jesus' prayer and lots of other places as well. But here, as we're focusing here, that we are to be one, that we are to be united. Now this doesn't mean that we all have to uh, become monks and nuns and live together in the, in the same situation. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus goes on to give an example of what this unity looks like. And this is why we looked at the Trinity last week. Because the example that he gives is this. He says, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. So unity like the Trinity. Unity like the Trinity. This, this is what our second point is. Jesus is saying that the unity and the oneness of his people will look like the unity and oneness of the Trinity. Now, the, the Trinity is used as an example. And the, the unity that Christians have, that's what it looks like. Now, now, there's lots of aspects of the Trinity that have no reflection in this situation. But the main theme, the main theme of God's unity is reflected in the Trinity. And I just wanted to take a few moments to, to get a, a feel for, for what exactly Jesus is saying here. What exactly he's meaning by this. The Trinity, as we saw last week, is one God and three persons. The church is one church and many persons or many individuals. So we can see it immediately there. One God, three persons. Those one person and three people working in perfect unity together. And Jesus is saying the church needs to be like that. There is only one church. The Lord Jesus Christ is the head of the church. It is God's church. The church isn't owned by an individual. This isn't my church. This isn't even your church. This is God's church. Jesus is the head of this church. And it is one church. This church is united. This is the local church united to all the other bodies of believers around the world. And just as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are united, then we need to be united. The Trinity is united in God and the church is united to God through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. But also we see that in the Trinity there are three distinct persons. We saw that last week, didn't we? We saw that the three persons of the Trinity have different roles. 
And just a quick reminder, last week we saw that the Father sends the Son. The Father's job was to, 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 to send the Son, and, and he had a plan, and he sent his Son, and the Son obeys the Father. The Son provides a way of salvation. Jesus left the glory of heaven. He came to this world to live a perfect life, to die a death he didn't deserve to die, and to take the punishment of the sins of his people. The way of salvation was made, but the Holy Spirit completes the work. And any of us who have called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, any of us who have been saved, it's because the Holy Spirit came into our lives and prompted us. The time that you realized that you had sinned and fallen short of God's glory, the time that you realized that you weren't as good as you'd hoped that you were, that's because the Holy Spirit was working. And so you see in the Trinity, we have these three different roles. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the different members of the church are united in Christ, but they have different gifts and roles to play. The children's talk. That's why I brought the children's talk up. That's why I was chatting to children in that way. It's important, isn't it? In in 1 Corinthians 12, the passage that we read earlier together in verse 19, it says, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And that's exactly what we see here in Left Kosher Protestant Church. We are one body, but all different parts of that body. And just as we are chatting to the children, is a particular part of the body more important than the other? If, if you didn't have your feet, you'd be lost. If you didn't have your hands, you'd be in great troubles. If you lost your sense of smell or, or, or sight or hearing, it would be really difficult. Each part of the body is needed. The, the passage in 1 Corinthians 12 goes on. It says, now if you are the body of Christ, individual members of it, and then he says, look, are all, in verse 29, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, and, and the list could go on and on and on. Uh, is everyone musical? Can everybody sing? Can everybody do cleaning? Can everybody uh, help in that way? Can everyone get involved in the tech? No. We're all different parts of the body. Everybody's got a different gift. You see, salvation would be totally impossible without the Trinity. This is mind-blowing to think that before we were even here, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were, were perfectly positioned to be able to save people who weren't even thought of or born into the world. I mean, that's just the, the size of God. But if God were just God the Father, without the Son and without the Holy Spirit, we couldn't be saved. Because we need Jesus and his redeeming blood. And if Jesus and his redeeming blood came and there wasn't the Holy Spirit to come and regenerate our hearts, we wouldn't be saved. The the Trinity is vital in our salvation. And just like each person of the Trinity is essential for our salvation, each member of the church is essential to the church. You were saved for a purpose and that purpose was to be part of a body. And as part of that body, you need to be united together. 
Nobody is a nobody in the kingdom. We're all needed. But we all also have to remember that nobody is the body in the kingdom. We're just a part of it. But in a day and age when everyone is having, oh, what's that word? The crisis that Ray Lewis tells me I have from time to time. So an existential crisis. When, when everyone around the world is having existential crisis and we're falling apart and we're saying, what is my identity? Brothers and sisters here, your identity is this. Before time began, God chose you to be part of his family. Isn't that amazing? And then Jesus, 2,000 years ago, prayed that you would be united together like a family, functioning like a body to God's glory. Yes, nobody is a nobody. We're part of this kingdom. We're all needed. But also we have to remember that nobody is the body. And as Paul said in Philippians 2, 3, he said, do nothing from rivalry or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. You see, we can further see the unity in the Trinity by this. Because God's ultimate aim is to glorify God. God is passionate about his own glory. And because he is God, he has every right to be passionate about his own glory because he is the definition of glory himself. For you or I to be passionate about our own glory, that is just conceit, that is ego, and that is a big problem. But with God it's not because the essence of God is is glory. And God's glory is to be demonstrated throughout whatever he created. And so God's ultimate delight is that he is glorified. And in him being glorified, the church has been created. And the church, the body of Christ, our greatest aim should be to glorify God. And so the Trinity, what did Jesus pray at the beginning of this prayer? Father, glorify me. Why? So that you may be glorified. The Trinity was united in the glorification of Jesus. And we as a church, as a body of Christ, our greatest aim should be to glorify God. But sadly, tragically, so many churches now are uniting and dividing over glorifying the pastor. How many times have I seen the advert for the church? And what is it? It is a pastor standing there looking greater than greatness with more bling and gold than a rap star. And he's shining out there from his five cars that he's just gotten out of. And people are worshipping the glory of the pastor. People sometimes worship the glory of the building. Great buildings that have gone up. The temple was probably one of the most glorious buildings that was made for God. There's barely a wall standing of it now because it's not needed. That's not where God's glory is. That's not what we, we don't need these things to glorify God. 
Yes, they can, in essence, point to God's glory, but it's not what it's about. And, and sadly, tragically, churches unite and divide over the glorification of their pastor or the glorification of their ministry. The CEO of the church, the, 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 the grand overseer, the daddy of daddies, whatever he is, it's not his church. It's God's church. And it's God that should be being glorified. And our unity isn't brought around by uniting behind a man. That's rubbish. If people start unifying around me, we've got it wrong. It's not about me as a pastor. It's not about Pastor Andrew. It's not about Pastor Philip. Some people could say, well, Pastor Andrew is a big pastor because he's the founder. He's, He's not the founder. The Lord Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. He is the one that shed his blood for the church. And he did it for God's glory. And the owner of the church is God. And we as his children should unite around that. But it gets even more amazing, friends. Because the relationship of the believer to God is deeper than that illustration of the Trinity. Now, that that illustration of the Trinity gives us a picture of something. But it goes on. And just like I said at the beginning of going through this, we have these wow moments. I I was astounded to think Jesus prayed for me 2,000 years ago. This is incredible. This is amazing. And then I read this. That they also may be in us. This is Jesus speaking to God the Father, and he's speaking of us, and he's saying, I want them to be united. And then he says, I want them to be like us, as a trinity in, in, that, in that picture sense. And then he says that they also may be in us. Friends, the third unity is unity in God. Believer, we are in God. Do you get this? Do you get how amazing this is? How incredible this is? When someone becomes a believer, they are in Christ. Romans 8 and verse 1 says that. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And when we become a Christian, we are united to God in Christ Jesus. And because they are in Christ, because we're in Christ, we're in the Father. And as it says there, I in them. Jesus is in us and you in me. This is breathtaking. This is, this, this is it. This is our salvation. The, the way that we become one with God. Our sin separates us from God. Our sin deserves God's punishment, which is eternal wrath. We sometimes feel sorry for people who who go through real difficulties and pains in this earth. And it's right to. But the pain and the suffering that presents itself on this earth is nothing in comparison to eternity of God's wrath. You see, in the pain and the suffering of this world... While there is life, there is hope. But in eternity, there is no hope. Now, 
no hope. One of the things that I love about Africans, and sometimes it frustrates me about Africans, and forgive me for, for sharing this with you so openly, is your eternal optimism. You're always so optimistic. And, and sometimes I love this because it, it encourages me. And then sometimes I look at the situation and it's so dark and so bleak and so impossible. I think, how can you keep smiling at it? And it's because you have hope. Somewhere there within you, there is hope. But there won't be an eternally optimistic African or any other nation in hell. Because all hope will have gone. And that's what the wage of sin is. You see, originally when God made us, we were made to be in a relationship with him. But the first man, Adam, rejected God, and we all rejected him with him. And ever since, we've been in rebellion against God. And sometimes that is open and militant, and we see people aggressively shaking their fists at God and and, and saying that they're atheists and, and fighting against God very openly. And sometimes the the, the person that's rejected God is someone who is so deeply religious that they're self-righteous, believing that they can make themselves right with God. And maybe you're here today. Maybe you think that by being here, you're going to make yourself right with God. You're not. You're rebelling against God if you think that by being here, you're going to please God and, and make him save you. There's nothing that you can do to merit your own salvation. And sometimes this rebellion against God is just an I don't care sort of way. You get on with life. You make money. You have a nice family. You have a car. If you're in England, you have 2.2 children. If you're in Nigeria, you have seven and a half. I think that's statistics. You know what I mean. And you just get on with life. And just getting on with life is a way of rejecting God. So whether you're a blatant atheist fighting and shaking your fist at God, or whether you're a religious person trying to work your way to God, or whether you've just given up and gone with life, you're in rebellion with God. Jesus, when he prayed this prayer, he was about to go to the cross. And he was going to the cross for a reason. God's Son, the eternal Son of God, came to this world so he could take the punishment of the sins of his people. Jesus lived a perfect life. The wages of sin is death. He took death, although he did not deserve death. Pilate said this man is without guilt. Everyone who looked on saw that he was without guilt. Did they take his life? No. Jesus gave his life. Jesus gave up his spirit. Jesus gave up his breath. Jesus took on the sins of his people. Jesus took on the wrath of God. And the wrath of God was so great upon the man, Jesus, that God switched the light of heavens off. And there was darkness across the world so that he didn't have to look on the suffering and the darkness of what was going on. And in that great moment, the Lord Jesus Christ cries out, It is finished what's finished the work of salvation the work of salvation was done the price was paid the redemption had happened and as galatians 4 puts it chapter 4 verse 4 but when in the fullness of time had come god sent forth his son to be born of a woman born under the law but never sinned to redeem 
those who are under in the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Brothers and sisters, we have unity because we are family. Family means so much to the Cypriots here. Possibly more so in the previous generation, but family was so important to them. And and I've seen family first time in Nigeria and how the elders are respected and how the family unit keeps together. And you you tell your secrets within your family. You don't tell everyone your business, but you keep it within the family because that is your family. And what the Lord Jesus Christ has done is he's brought us into his family. We've been adopted. And as a family, we are one with Christ and we are to be united. But there's a reason why Jesus is praying for us to be united. Because he's united us. We're united in Christ. We've been brought into the family. But he wants this to be demonstrated. He wants people to see it because we see, fourthly, unity as a witness. I said earlier that this is a prayer request for all. It's not an optional and extra. It is for all of us. Why is it for all of us? It's born out of the sermon. Chapter 13 and verse 34, Jesus speaking to his disciples, says, a new commandment I give you. That you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And maybe he saw one of the disciples go, why? Why are we to show this love for one another? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. You see, this unity is shown in love. And there's a reason for unity in the church. And we read it in these verses. It is so that we are a witness. In the words of the prayer, in verse 22, in the second part, Jesus says, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. How do we do evangelism? How do we witness to the Cypriots out there? We have to be united in here first before we can be a blessing out there. And when we are united in here, it speaks to the world out there that Jesus came. Verse 32, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. We're going to come on to the love bit later. But I want to emphasize that first bit. That the world may know that you sent me. The church is unity is essential to its outreach. And we could say to ourselves, well, possibly now there is so much problem in in the church's witness being weak. Why is that the case? And it's because individualism and living your own life to please yourself has become more important than the family and the unity is lost and the world sees nothing of attraction, naturally speaking, within the church. Our unity points to Christ. It points to Christ being sent by God. And Jesus knew that. And that's why Jesus was praying that. There was a TV series uh, from America back in the 90s. And I don't think any of you will have seen it. It was called Cheers. It was based around a, a bar in New York, I think. It was New York. There was a theme song that went with this 
And the chorus read like this. So it's a bar where people came and, go, came and went, and the whole story is around that. And the, the, the song went like this. Be glad there is one place in the world where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. You want to go to a place where people know. People are all the same. You want to go where everybody knows your name. You know what? People like oneness. People like being part of the team. Chelsea fans particularly like being part of the team right now, don't they? They're all excited by this. And then there's like this oneness in Chelsea. And people gravitate to their own. And people like unity. And the point is this. The world appreciates unity. And the world appreciates family. And unity and family should be perfected in the church. And when unity and family are perfected in the church, it's like lighting a fire and saying to the world, look, this is where, it happened. This is where it's happening. There should be something remarkably attractive about that. And what a place we have to demonstrate it here. Probably in this room we've got at least ten nationalities. Different cultures. Different people. How did that happen? How did that oneness come about? Because we are one in the Lord Jesus Christ. A little bit later we're going to be having some service with the Turkish speakers. And within the Turkish community you get all sorts of different factions from different sides. And often in society they wouldn't speak to each other. And then when they become one with Christ... They chat and they love. But what we have to ask ourselves this question is what do people find when they come to Left Kosher Protestant Church? Maybe we should ask our new friends in a couple of weeks' time to do an audit to tell us are they united? Are they friendly? Are they a family? Do people find a church here, a body of God's people, like Jesus prayed for in unity? And just to bring it a little bit closer to yourself, what are you doing personally to promote unity? What are you doing personally to promote unity? Because in this Christian life, there are so many things that will rob unity now last point and quickly I just want to go through some things that rob unity or unity robbers as I put them up there and this is what we have to protect against Jesus prayed for us yes but we're here in the action what do we do about it well what robs unity firstly I want to mention sin there's no surprise there gossip, slander, adultery in the heart or in action, stealing, lying. Did you want to be a part of a group like that? If this sin is going to rob unity, and any sin that's not repented of will break the unity of the local church, and the biggest one of all these is pride, because pride fuels all the other ones. And so if you're a church member here, and you've been gossiping or slandering. Or if there's hurt, sin in your heart and your life, you, we, 
may need to do some repenting. Because that could be getting in the way of our unity and our pointing to Christ and bringing glory to his name. And closely linked to that is a, a lack of forgiveness. If someone has gossiped about you, and if someone has gossiped about you and they're being convicted of it, and they come to you and they say, look, I am sorry, I shouldn't have said that, and I did. And you go, hmm. And don't forgive them. That's going to break the unity. There's churches that I've been told of that there's someone who sits on this side and someone who sits on that side. And because 25 years ago, 30 years ago, their grandparents had an argument, they haven't spoken to each other since. Where is the glory in that? Where is the unity in that? And how can you pray the Lord's Prayer? Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven ours. You may need to speak to somebody after the service. You may need to say sorry. You may need to ask for forgiveness. You may need to humble yourself and forgive them for the sake of unity and God's glory. Another thing that can cause Rob unity is prioritizing second issues. And what I mean by that, there are are parts of the gospel, well, the gospel itself, that is of utmost importance. We'll call that primary. And there's some other things that are not primary to salvation, not primary to God's glory in that sense. And sometimes these pet issues become of more value than the gospel. In the the UK, there's been some churches where the version of Scripture has become so important that the version of Scripture has become more important than the content of it. And if someone comes in with the wrong Bible, the others go, he can't be a Christian, she can't be a Christian. How can they be saved when they're not reading the same one as me? And it happens. And we have to protect against it. Titus 3, 9 says, avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarreling about the law because they're unprofitable and worthless. Don't let the secondary issues get in the way. Unite in the gospel. The fourth one, and this is, this is really key in our situation, racism. Racism will break unity. Thinking negatively of those with different skin types or cultures, or it will breed hostility and dissensions. And look around us here. I don't think any one of us has got exactly the same skin color. We're all different. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, for you're all one in Christ. That there is no biblical excuse for nationalism. We are all exiles here. We're all going to glory. And we have to guard against this. We have to love one another. It's easier to hang out in your tribe. But you've got to remember this, tribes. The tribe that you are in, the family that you are in, is Christ Jesus's. And Christ's family trumps your own cultural situation. Ageism. Ageism can cause disunity. 
believing that the young people are naive. That's what us older ones do. Did I say that? Did I refer to myself as an older one? Ageism. Old people are out of touch. Brings distrust, doesn't it? And, and I think you've got to be particularly aware of this when you go back home. I think one of the big challenges that you guys, particularly you from Nigeria, is the youth is where the energy is, and you feel that the older have lost it. And I'm not going to go into politicality of it, but within the church, ageism is what the devil uses for disunity. And people's churches separate. Oh, this is a youth church. Well, where is the benefit and the experience of the elders? Oh, this is the elder people church. We don't want the youth. Well, where's the energy? Who's going out doing the outreach? We need it. We're all part of a body together, young and old, black and white, and then social and economic snobbery. This is possibly something this culture here suffers with. The amount of Range Rovers on the road here. The the amount of high-end fashion. It's because there's a social and economic snobbery and you, you judge and put others down by their wealth that they've got or not got or the position they've got and they've not got. And James, in his epistle, chapter 2, verse 9, says, but if you show partiality, you're committing sin and convicted by the law as transgressors. And then intellectualism. This can happen here. I've got a PhD. You've only got a master's. You need to listen to me. Huh, you haven't even started your undergrad yet. You're still doing a preschool in English so that you can get to study here. We are far better than you. What, you've only got a high school education? Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Philippians 2, 3. Jesus prayed for our unity. These are things that attack our unity. So friends, what we need to do is we need to attack sin and lack of forgiveness and prioritizing the wrong issues and racism and ageism and social economic snobbery and intellectual and anti-elitism. We need to attack them, not one another. We are united in Christ. And we should pray and work for our unity because the Lord Jesus Christ died for our unity and prayed for our unity. That they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Amen. I want to give you a couple of moments just to, to pray over this in, in your own hearts and your own lives. Maybe if you could just put that list back up there, Joel, that'd be great. Thank you. Maybe use that list to, to help you or where the Spirit leads you and guides. Please just pray this into your situation and pray that we will have unity.
of the Lord Jesus Christ's prayer in our hearts and lives. Almighty God, may we know that unity in you through the Lord Jesus Christ. And if any don't yet know that for themselves, we ask that this morning they would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And for those of us that know you and love you as our Heavenly Father through the Lord Jesus Christ, help us to be united. United as you, Heavenly Father, united to Christ and the Holy Spirit. May we have a true love for one another. May you keep us from sin. May you keep us from unforgiveness. May you keep us from all those areas of pride that can rob us of our unity and worse, rob you of your glory. May our unity be a witness to this lost world and may you use it to bring many to know you as their father. In Jesus' name we pray prayed. Amen.